Amen. Fantastic job. I've been really blessed to serve at Townview a little over two years, and I've worked with so many talented musicians, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity to be in a church that, uh, that worships. That's not a given, you know? So thank you for being a part of this rich community. Thank you, praise team, for being so awesome. So as Jim said, we are continuing in our series on parables uh, during a pandemic, parables for a time of pandemic. We've taken these rich teachings of Jesus and, and dragged them, sometimes kicking and screaming, into our current moment and tried to contextualize them uh, by retelling some of these stories with our current moment in mind. And so as we spend time with the parables, we're also locking in here at the, the last tail end of this series with sort of a, a mini-series here at the end um, with Luke 15. There's three parables that Jesus stacks on top of each other. And he'll tell the parable of the lost sheep. You had a hundred sheep, you lost one. Uh, he'll tell the parable of the lost coin. You had ten coins, you lost one. He'll tell the parable of the lost sons. You had two sons and you lost one and then the other and then maybe both, but maybe you found. So we're going to be spending time with these questions about lost things uh, for a little bit. Uh, today, we're looking at that first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. Go ahead and give me the scripture up on the screen. Uh, this is from the start of the 15th chapter of Luke. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus knows what's going on. And so then Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and then calls all of his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I've never met one of them for the record. Um, but so that's how Jesus ends his parable. Uh, Pastor Jim wrote this week's contextualization. And Jim writes, as the news of shortages spread, a shopkeeper was able to locate 100 packs of toilet paper. He instructed his manager to be diligent in unloading the truck and stocking the storage room. Now what happens if the manager looks up and sees a pack tumble off the cart, careen down the loading ramp, bounce across the gutter, and roll through traffic and out of sight? Wouldn't the manager immediately leave the other 99 packs of toilet paper, dodge through traffic to find the lost pack? This manager would be so happy that he would carry the package back to the store, place it carefully on the shelf, and call all of his coworkers and tell them the good news. I, it's fun, right? <laughs> I'm sure all of us have heard a thousand sermons on this parable here at the start of Luke 15. Uh, the interpretation that Luke offers in his commentary 
on Jesus' teaching here says that this is a story about how Jesus pursues the sinners that are far from God. We've heard wonderful, moving, powerful sermons based on this parable about how no one is too far gone for the love of God. Sermons about how Jesus pursues the backslidden. Sermons are about the reckless and relentless love of God and the, the lengths God will go to for those he loves. And these are all beautiful and true, but that is not what this parable has been saying to me over this past week. The rabbis of Jesus' day said something like this. They had a saying about the Bible, that the scriptures are like a finely cut gem. A, a perfect diamond is sort of the image here. And that every time you hold it up to the light, it sparkles in a new way. Every angle and counter brings something new out of it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, this is particularly true. This is why the Bible never gets old. You can return to it over and over again, and each time it's new. A passage that ministers you to you in one way during one season of your life can minister completely differently to you in a different situation. This is the genius of the text and the wildness of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And then the parables of Jesus take this to a whole nother level. These things are like billion-sided prisms shooting out rainbows of truth and wisdom and love in every direction. And this week, as I started studying this very familiar parable, preparing this sermon, I saw something new that I had never seen before. So let's start with some things that sheep and toilet paper have in common, since these are the subjects of our parable today. Some deep theological talk for you today about toilet paper. Uh, both sheep and toilet paper tend to be fluffy. They're frequently depicted as soft and white. They're often found in groups in herds. Thank you, Doug, I, I appreciate it. They're often found in groups or herds or in packs. I've never seen one repent. And um, if you lose one of these, it's, it's your fault. Toilet paper doesn't lose itself, and sheep don't tend to either. Uh, how, how does the uh, toilet paper parable start? A pack of toilet paper falls off the cart. How does Jesus' parable begin? Suppose you had a hundred sheep and lost one. This toilet paper, this sheep, was your responsibility. And if you lost it, there might be consequences. Enter Shrek the sheep. I, this is the wooliest sheep I have ever seen. Shrek was a domesticated sheep in New Zealand who went missing in 2004. And he was a bit of a news story uh, six years later when they discovered him like this. Lost in the mountains, six years of not being cared for, of being wild, of being unsheared. At the point when which they had found him, he had gained about 60 pounds of spare fluff. <laughs> it was a uh, media event when they finally sheared him. They say that it was enough wool in the 60 pounds to make 20 large-size men's suits. <laughs> that is 
a lot to take off the back of our friend Shrek. And then we have our friend that, so I asked the youth to name a roll of toilet paper for me this week. And they, they came up with, that's gross, uh, with Tommy TP. <laughs> Good job, guys. Uh, was that yours, Jackie? That was Sam. Okay, it was a group effort. Nice. So we've named this roll of toilet paper. This is Tommy TP, the toilet paper roll. And uh, I left him in my backyard for the last week. He, he sat out since Tuesday. Uh, and he, frankly, I put him in a bag when I went to game this morning because he doesn't look so great. He's been subject to exposure. He's been direct sunlight. He's taken the humidity of the day. There's, there's actually some bugs living in him and some spots of mold that are kind of neat. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's been rained on. Parts of him are missing. He's pretty matted and gross. Uh, certainly not as cute as Shrek the sheep and certainly not desirable for his intended purpose. There are consequences when we lose things. Consequences for sheep, consequences for moldy toilet paper, and consequences for people. And let's be honest, throughout its history, the church has lost a lot of people. The worst part is that frequently the people that the church scares away are the people that the church is supposed to protect and care for. The, the church, an organization built around universal welcome, radical equality, and physical, social, and spiritual liberation, which follows a God who continually and constantly and consistently demands justice and liberation and expresses the greatest concern for the oppressed, even when the oppressor is God's own chosen people. The church has had about 2,000 years to figure out how to live into its calling and commissioning, but has historically found ways to engage in malpractice and drive a wedge between God, the God of reconciliation, and the most vulnerable among us. What do I mean? How about this? The American church twisted and weaponized scripture to protect and entrench chattel slavery. The church, this church, Townview, was founded as a Southern Baptist church. The, the Southern Baptist Convention was founded in Georgia in 1845 to protect slave owners' rights to be leaders, specifically missionaries, in the church. The scar of this error have added to the buildup uh, build of grievances that have driven a wedge between races in America and between the church and the general population. The church has historically and consistently oppressed and repressed the anointing of women in the church. Women who have undoubtedly been blessed with gifts and calling from the Holy Spirit. Once again, uh, Baptists, sorry, we're, we're not the best at this, have held on too long to the idea that men have a privileged role in the church. How many times have you seen a woman in an equal role to a, a man only to see his role and title as something like pastor and hers as something like leader or director? How many times have we scared off young people? Have we 
seen students of promise and potential, and we've taken them and made them feel like heretics or like they're some sort of scandal for asking hard questions of the church or for choosing something like the sciences to go into. And then there's terrifying statistics like these. Uh, these are recent and Georgia-specific. LGB teens are twice as likely to experience assault in school. 77% of LGBTQ teenagers surveyed report feeling depressed or down in the past week of the survey. 95% of LGBT youth in Georgia report having trouble sleeping. More than 70% report feelings of worthlessness or hopelessness in the past week of the survey. LGBT youth who come from rejecting families are almost 10 times more likely to have attempted suicide. Over 40% of these youth will attempt suicide by the age of 20. And in Atlanta, 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBT. The church is at least partially to blame for these sad and terrifying facts of our world. When the resurrected Jesus reinstates the apostle Peter, often in the Bible a stand-in for the church, if you're reading and you see Peter doing something, pay close attention. Jesus gives him a threefold command to care for Jesus' sheep. But like the shepherd in the parable, we've lost some. It is important to remember that shepherds were not particularly wealthy. They were pretty near the bottom of the social ladder. And when and while some normal folks might have an animal or two in their household, a hundred sheep is a sign of wealth. The shepherd in this story has been employed by someone to look after the owner's sheep. The hired shepherd is expected to make sure these sheep have a place to eat, are safe from thieves and predators, and that they don't get lost. This parable of the lost sheep, as it's often called, could just as easily be titled the parable of the negligent shepherd. Brennan Manning, let's go ahead and throw that next slide up. Brennan Manning, author of the Ragamuffin Gospel and famed preacher, is frequently quoted saying, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. These words have been heard so much that they can almost pass us by in one ear, out the other. Sort of like Gandhi's fake, he never said this quote about the church. Supposedly, Gandhi said, I like your Jesus, I just don't like your Christians. He never said that. But maybe the reason we keep repeating it, the reason people believe it's a real quote, is because it rings true for a lot of people in the world today. In 2019, multiple studies were conducted on to why the church in the West, in Europe, in the United States, seems to be declining. Uh, these were done by Christianity Today, Pew Research, and the Barna Research Group. And unfortunately, the answers they came up with for what's going on were predictable. People who don't go to church don't go to church because 
they see Christians as hypocrites. They, here's a quote. They talk about love all the time, but they are just plain mean. Christians are disinterested. They don't care about, interact with, or talk about real issues. And Christians are close-minded, narrow-minded, or arrogant were popular responses. Christians have all the answers perfectly figured out, and questioning those answers is simply not allowed. Doubts are not allowed. Curiosity is not allowed. Exploration is not allowed. Here's that quote again. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. This is something that the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. But it's something that the believing world finds unacceptable too. When the church engages in hypocrisy, politicking, virtue signaling, or arrogantly wielding our preferences like their doctrine, or our doctrine like they are weapons, we knock down the walls of our own pasture and drive away our own sheep, while simultaneously adding roadblocks, gates, and unnecessary hurdles to those seeking to find safe pasture. We must own up to where we have been wrong and seek to make right these, these errors through repentance. Repentance requires action. The manager in Jim's parable chases down the runaway toilet paper. The shepherd in Jesus' parable hunts for the lost sheep. It is important to remember that some of these sheep that have wandered, some have fled and some have been driven from the church, even from interest in the church. The Baptist church has historically made itself unsafe pasture for many. And the first step towards being able to seek the lost sheep of our community has to be confession and repentance. We must admit where we have been wrong, where we have been part of the problem, we must face that in many Baptist pastors today lurk the wolves of racism, misogyny, inquisition, and homophobia. In some churches, these are clear and present dangers to the sheep. Other congregations, like Townview, have taken bold and beautiful stances against these sins. But sin is sneaky, and sin is insidious. It can live on as residue in institutions, like ghosts in a haunted house, operating mostly unseen, rarely noticed, but with powerful and damaging effects. There's a, a popular saying in church life that goes something like, love the sinner, hate the sin. You've probably heard it before. You've probably said it before. But when it comes to these sins of exclusion, which... I've named here as racism, misogyny, inquisition, and homophobia. We've built a culture in the American church that is much better at loving the sinner than hating the sin. Maybe that was the situation for the church at Sardis that uh, Korah did such an incredible job reading uh, for us. Jesus says to this seemingly thriving congregation, you guys look awesome. You look alive, but parts of you are dead, there were still ghosts that needed to be exercised from the church at Sardis. 
And what does Jesus prescribe as the remedy for this dangerous situation this church finds itself in? Jesus says, remember the message that was brought to you at first. Go back to the start, which is usually the right thing to do when you've lost something, right? Go back to the start. Remember what it was like to first be sought out and to be rescued by grace. Remember that we were dead in sin and that our membership in the church and the family of God in Jesus' flock has no relation to our merit, but is based exclusively on Jesus' love. We were the lost ones once. Maybe we still are sometimes. Being lost, being exposed is dangerous, and people respond in different ways. Some dealing with rejection of the church or the feeling of hopelessness, knowing or believing that they could never be accepted, or seeing the failures of the Christian culture around them, or simply adopting a life of exposure, a life away from Christ, not knowing that there is even an alternative for them. Some, like Shrek the sheep, grow thick defensive layers around themselves. Others like, yeah, I know it's silly, but others like Tommy Teepee, the toilet paper, just wither and ebb away. He's just turning into mush. It's gross. And again, at least part of the blame for those who have put up walls between themselves and God and those who feel uh, that they, and those who've drifted into nihilistic or existential despair in regards to religion, church, Jesus, the Bible, etc. At least part of that falls on us. Repentance is the only answer. Half measures in dealing with our sin will only serve to make us wolves in sheep's clothing, convinced, maybe even, by our own disguises. If the church is to be a safe place for the Holy Spirit to court the world, it must courageously go first. Bravely live into the kingdom values it professes. Very simply, we must practice what we preach. I must practice what I preach. And once we have interrogated and confessed our own issues to ourselves, to our community, to our God, we can begin again. So, in this season of intensified division in our nation, in our world, in, in this season of anxiety, the season of tension, fear, confusion, separation, let's remember that, as the prophet said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, and we are all in need of rescue. And in being rescued, we are called to join the rescue mission. So let's get back to the work that we were called to. Let's get back on message. Peace, love, justice, mercy, humility, beauty, community, welcome, acceptance, forgiveness, freedom, fresh starts, life to its absolute fullest. Jesus offers nothing less. Let us live like this is true like a community of the found seeking to find others. Amen.